Well, today we begin this new series in 1 Corinthians, and so let's start there. Let's read 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, turn there. It'll be on the screen, as you know. That is our custom at FC. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read the first nine verses as we get our feet wet in this series, uh, addressing the problems that divide us. I love this book, this letter. It's got uh, the best, uh, I think the most famous chapter, most poetic, beautiful chapter on love in the 13th chapter. It's got the greatest theological treatise on the resurrection in chapter 15. And it says the best things about spiritual gifts in chapters 12 and 14. And then it addresses a whole bunch of things that get in our way that divide us. And so we're going we're gonna to do it. We're going to jump in there. And funny, when you talk about things that divide us, there's a, you run the risk of like dividing us. So we'll see how this goes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul called an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints with all those in every place who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We'll read in a moment about a woman named Chloe who uh, in the midst of this um, warm tone that he starts the letter with, she reported some problems to Paul about the church in Corinth. Now let's uh, back up because what we're going to find quickly, even today and and these weeks ahead, is that even though this letter was written a long time ago, uh, it, um, boy, it's for us today. And some of the same things we deal with, they're dealing with. So it'll be instructive. I think it'll be convicting for us and hopefully encouraging in some ways. But it was written to Corinth, and one writer described the city of Corinth like it's up there, like it's po- it's it's major city, an important city, a port city, a trade route, and it it was um, you know right up there with Rome and Athens and Ephesus as a really important place, and had a lot of new people and new money and a lot of thrill seekers and risk takers, and uh, one writer, one historian described. Uh, Corinth as, as a place where the people, the people in Corinth, I should say, were described as status conscious, as image obsessed, as ladder climbing, as profit producing, as people dividing. In other words, when you get things, you tend to look down on other people or you're working so hard to get those things that other people get hurt. And Corinth had that. Take a look at the map of Corinth. It's located on the isthmus. How often do you use that word isthmus? Isthmus is a a thin, narrow strip of land that connects to other areas of land. So on the left of this, um, there's a harbor that points towards Asia Minor. On the right side, there's a harbor that points toward Italy and Europe, and that's where Corinth was located. So super important city on a lot of levels, economically and socially and religiously. And Paul writes this letter to these people. And here's the trick. A woman named Chloe reports some problems. Now, at first, and I get in a lot of trouble because I'm a man, and there's a lot of women in the house, and I love the ladies. But uh, at first, it just sounds kind of bad, doesn't it? Like a woman reported some problems. You know, that sometimes that, that, you know, she, uh, town gossip jumped in. She, she wrote a letter to Paul and said, okay, but look, this is a good woman. This is a, this is a good thing. In fact, we uh, 
praise Chloe for doing this because she cared. She was a convert. She was a wealthy woman, and we learned from, from history that she uh, disposed of her wealth. She uh, laid her property at the feet of the early church, and she said, here it is, and let God use this. So Chloe really cared. She was invested. Have you noticed that if you're invested somewhere with your time and your money, your attention, your energy and focus, like you care, and so you're not going to let problems go. If you don't care about your marriage, you don't care about your church, you don't care about where you work, you don't care about the team you're on, you just let problems slide. And so Chloe is to be praised. Uh, God used women. God uses women. And we see Chloe not in a gossip way. We see Chloe saying, hey, Paul, here's some problems that are happening in the church. Now, what were those problems that were happening in the church? They were, they were divided over ethnicity. There were Jews and Greeks, and the Jews were nervous that the Greeks uh, were accepting Christ. You ever, anybody grow up in a church where, like, you had your pew, and if someone new comes in, you're like, no, no, no. Even though the church is built on new people, it's like, come on, we need new people. We need an infusion of new people in here. But you're like, no, don't, don't get on my stuff. Don't get in my way in the, toward the coffee and don't sit on my pew and all that stuff. But look, the Jews and the Greeks, they, they were divided by ethnicity. They were divided by social status. There were rich and poor. There were the, the Jews and the Greeks, I mentioned that, but there were uh, wise people and foolish people. There were powerful people and weak people, seemingly. There were those born of noble birth and those who were despised and lowly. And so they were divided over this. They were divided over preachers. Some people wanted Paul, some wanted Peter, some wanted Apollos. They were divided over worship styles, we'll learn later. Can you imagine that, a church being divided over how we worship? Some wanted formal, some wanted spontaneous, some wanted more order and structure, some wanted to let, some wanted to let the spirit flow. They were divided over use or misuse of gifts. There, there were some who were flaunting the gifts they had. There were others that were jealous of the gifts that they didn't have. And there were so many people who weren't even using their gift. There was sin in the camp. There was uh, incest. There was a leader who was sleeping with his uh, stepmom and the church was doing nothing about it. They were maligning the Lord's Supper. They were marginalizing the poor. There was problem after problem in this church, and Chloe wrote about it, and Paul was informed about it. And how does Paul start his letter? Look at verse 4. We read it a moment ago. I always thank my God for you. Paul, brother, these people are a hot mess. Isn't it true? When you see a place that's messed up, you just want to give up. You want to walk out. And Paul starts this letter... And by the way, here's a truism. Somebody needs it today. Here's a truism. You can have somebody in your life who's messed up and they got problems and you can still thank God for them. You can have a church that's less than perfect, that has to be refined. You can still thank God for it. And Paul writes to these people and he says, I thank my God for you. Paul, really? Come again, brother. You're supposed to be bright. One of the most brilliant minds of your day and you're thanking God for this hot mess. Why not just tap out? Why double down? Why not tap out? Why not get going? And Paul says, I thank my God for you. Chapter three, he says, you are carnal, you are fleshly, but I thank my God for you. In chapter five, you're not dealing with the sexual immorality among your leadership, but I thank my God for you. In chapter six, you're defaming each other, you're lying to each other, you're busting each other up and you're dragging each other to court. I'm so grateful for y'all. In chapter 8 and 9, you're arguing over food that's offered to idols. Now, that sounds like weird foreign stuff, but when we get into it, it's going to be good because it's pertinent to what we argue over today, what's permissible, what's lawful, what's good. How do we make each other stumble? When should we look past something? That sort of thing. That's going to be good in, in a few weeks. But Paul's like, hey, you're, you're arguing over this, but I'm so grateful for you. 
In chapter 11, you're marginalizing the poor people at the Lord's table and playing social rank. I'm thankful for you. In chapter 12 and 14, man, you are not using your gifts or you're abusing your gifts. Some of you are on a power trip, controlling other people. I appreciate y'all. Paul's saying, man, what we need to hear today, what the American church needs to hear today, is that you can have problems and you will have problems. By the way, can we just develop some common ground? Go anywhere, there are people, dot, 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 you got some problems. Why does the church take the hardest hit? Think about it, because I think there's something special about the church. It's God's plan A. There's no plan B. It's his plan A for reaching the world. Why is it hard? Have you ever noticed that it's harder to come to church? It's harder to get to church than any other place? It's hard to get here. I watch some of y'all who live in the neighborhood right around me. It's hard for y'all to get to church because you, you, it, it's, it's hard, right? How, it's so hard. Maybe there's something about that. Maybe there's something about that. And when you see a people that are messed up, when you see something that's messed up, it's just easy to want to give up. But what I want to ask you today is to re-up. I want to ask you to consider re-upping with the local church. Now, I know this could sound like a self-serving message because that's a lot of benefit for me if a bunch of people re-up with the church. But I want you to know this is God. This is a man-made invention. The church is God's plan. It's his idea. It's what he desires for us. So let's ask ourselves the question this morning. Why would we, why would we re-up with the church? Why, why should we re-up the church? There's a man named Roger, Roger Williams. Roger was a Puritan who later became a Baptist, who later checked out a church. At his death, he described himself as a Christian but he, um, he tapped out. He didn't double down. He didn't re-up. He tapped out. He saw the mess, and he walked away from it. And he was, a, if you study the Massachusetts Bay Colony, he's a pretty significant figure in Rhode Island and other places, and he would start churches and get discouraged and then uh, walk away. That's different than Paul, by the way. Uh, somebody already talked to me after the first service, like, you know, Paul, different from Paul. Um, his heart moved away from it. If you looked at his life, his history, here's a cycle for Roger Williams. Read the New Testament carefully. Discover the glories of what church should be. Plan a new church. Get discouraged. Leave church. Start the cycle all over again. His story could be your story, or you could be on the edge of this being your story. So today's message about when it's messed up, don't give up, re-up, could be really important for you. It could be really important for you. So I want to ask two questions today for you note takers. That's your cue. The first question is, why should we re-up with the local church? And we find it in this letter. We find it at the beginning of this letter. Here's what Paul would say in uh, verse 2. He would say, to the church of God that is in Christ in Corinth. Now we're going to do a lot of study on that last part of that sentence there. But look at the first part, to the church. To the church of God. Not to a man-made institution, not to a parenthetical little idea that's a human invention, but to the church of God. Listen, the church of, we don't talk about this enough, the church of God is, it's a, it's very, it's a very un-American idea, let's say that. It's a very un-American idea because the church is, a, uh, it's God saying that uh, there's no power in me's, but there's power in we's. And the church is his idea. It's his invention. So when I stand here today, and you can take it or leave it, I know you will, 
But listen, when I stand here today, it's not me trying to get something from you. This is me preaching on the authority of God's word and what God has to say about it. So I think we should re-up instead of tapping out because this is his idea. The church is his idea. And the me's are less than the we's for us to grow, for us to have what we need, for others to have what they need. We need to be in this thing together. And so this is the church. This is his idea. And he wants us to think about re-upping with the local church. That's the, the first reason, because God made it. It's it, his idea. And, and Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail. You ever seen an argument on social media about anything? Immigration, racism, abortion, taxation, anything that's happening today. And then someone will say they pull the, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history card. It's like, ooh, yeah, like, man, this is like, I was just going to go have lunch. And I might be on the wrong side of history. Yeah, I don't want to be on the wrong side. Whoa, whoa. And I don't mean to make light of serious social issues, please hear me there. But I, want to, I just want to say this. Not being down with the church, you're on the wrong side of history. Because Jesus said the gates of hell will prevail. And man, we've seen nothing like it. Nothing like it. Could you imagine being a penniless carper in an obscure village over 2,000 years ago and you make that promise? Some of us made promises about what we're going to do at 2 o'clock today and it doesn't pan out. We're talking 2,000 years and billions of people. What a promise. What credibility that gives us. And you know what? Some of you are like me. Some of you are spiritually seeking. You're not sure. You're here and we're glad you're here. But look, some of us, I'm one of them, is a testimony to that goodness. And the church is God's idea. So, so for the first question, why re-up with the local church? Because the church is God's idea. It's the church. We's are better than me's. And the second reason is found in verse 5. Paul says this, enriched in him in every way enriched in him in every way show me someone that's cut themselves off from the life of the church and I will show you someone that's missing out on the full blessings that God has for their lives and this passage says you'll be enriched the word there is pretty simple when you translate it when you go from the Greek to the English it just means to, uh, to, to, be, to be made of great wealth your life wealth comes to you untold wealth, unspeakable wealth, incredible blessings come into your life when you're connected to the local church. And he says, enriched in him in every way. Now, the next dot, dot, dot of that, he talks about uh, speaking and knowledge. Okay, now this is a precursor to where we'll be in several weeks, but speaking and knowledge is a reference to the gifts. He talks about the gifts in verse five and seven. He goes, he went, goes ahead and alludes to them when he talks about being enriched in every way. And he talks about, he talks about speech and knowledge. He's talking about tongues and prophecy we're, we're going to get there I know some of y'all are excited we're going to get to tongues and prophecy uh, in the weeks ahead but these were the two gifts that the Corinthian church was fixated on and he's just giving a little precursor just a little heads up and he's saying that I've gifted this body this local church has gifted people look around maybe not but there's gifts in this room when God, God gives his promise in the power of his spirit whether it's visible, tangible, audible in the moment that God has gifted us. So when we gather, and the church does gather, and when the people gather, they do get organized. All you anti-institutional people, we get organized around leaders, and it really matters how leaders lead. It really matters. Any leader on a power trip is getting snuffed out today. Anybody notice that? Any leader in the church on a power trip trying to control people is getting snuffed out. And I believe, I said it in the first, I believe Jesus is purging his church in America today. I believe he's purifying, and I believe he's, we'll get there in a second, I believe he's sanctifying. But man, it matters when we gather and there's these gifts. 
that God gives. There's people and there's gifts that he gives to people. So let me testify personally for a moment. When I was 14 years old, my pastor asked me in the last moment on Sunday morning to take up the offering. Apparently the church wasn't that organized. And he said, uh, you know, we, we had a left aisle and a right aisle or section, and there was a center aisle. We don't have that here, but there was a center aisle. If you want to get married at Founder Church, you'll, you're the bride. You'll come down this aisle. It's just as good. <laughs> so book your wedding at Founder Church. Contact Laura. <laughs> Dot McAlpin at FounderChurch.com. Raise your hand, Laura. Um, but we had a center aisle, and um, my pastor asked me, an uh, older man named Woodrow, to walk down the aisle. And uh, the way we did it every Sunday was... Two men would walk down the aisle, we'd stand here, the preacher would be up here after the singing, he would call on somebody to pray, one of the two, and we would, uh, you know, pray and turn around and pass the offering plate. And uh, I didn't want to take up the offering, I was, I was a little scared, I was only 14, and, when the, and I knew he'd call on uh, the old guy. And when the song stopped, he said, Robert, pray for us. And I had never offered a public prayer in my life, I, did I tell you I was only 14? And a uh, pretty big crowd that day, so I just, man, I just, I did the best I could. Later that week, a woman named Sally Smith, she ran into me and she told me the best part of her Sunday was my prayer. And I just puffed up with spiritual pride. I've never been the same. No. She told me, she said, she said uh, let me lead us in prayer. No. She said, she said that was the best part of the service that day. And I didn't know how my prayer was. But she spoke some life into me. And then later, just a week later, we were, on a, we were in a church van. We just bought a church van. I don't know why we did, but we bought a church van. We were in a church van. We were going to Ridgecrest Baptist Assembly in North Carolina. And Sally was a chaperone. I was a punk kid. And she, she spoke to me again about the prayer that I prayed. And she said, you know, Robert, God's calling you to be a prayer warrior. And how you pray publicly will reflect how you pray privately. But what really matters is how you pray privately. And we talked about that very thing. And she, Sally Smith, spoke life into me. You know what? Looking back, she had the gift of encouragement. And Sally was in that local church. And she knew that we's are better than me's. And she spoke into me. And that was bigger. I'm a little vulnerable when I shared this story. That was bigger as I look back than I ever thought it was. I remember I'd go to my grandma's church in North Mississippi. And we'd go in. We'd go about anywhere from five to ten times a year. And every single Sunday, uh, there'd be a man on the steps named Mr. Floyd. He'd be out there, and he was a greeter. We have greeters. I hope they do well at Father Church. I hope you feel greeted when you come in. And Mr. Floyd would greet people, when he, and he would, uh, he would be on the front steps, and every kid, every child, I was a, pretty much a child, he would uh, hand us a, a, a stick, a pack of Dantine gum, and a handshake and a hug Mr. Floyd would give us. And I learned through the years that Mr. Floyd never missed church. Every time I went, five, ten times a year, he was always there. My grandma told me, hey, He's been to, he hadn't missed church in 40, he had missed a Sunday in 40 years, which I don't really recommend, but y'all do need to come to church more. Um, he, I, what about vacation? He'd come back. What about got sick? You know, he, he'd come to church. Back in my day, we didn't have COVID. He would just come to, you know, just come to church. So he would greet and listen, well, I look back and I think of that man, he's still indelibly fixated in my brain. I think of the importance of greeting. Every time I walk in a room or sometimes when I walk in a room, everybody's looking at their phone or someone walks in the room and I'm looking at my phone. I think of Mr. Floyd, he's in the back of my mind because he knew how to greet. And God says, I'm gonna gift my church with people who know how to be greedy because greeting is really important. Some of you, you meet, you're, you're married, you meet at five o'clock after work and you don't greet each other well and you never, you don't have a good night. Greeting's kind of important. And scripture talks about that for a reason. And Mr. Floyd knew how to greet. And I also think about him of being faithful. Man, you know, a big part of life is showing up. 
And some of you are wondering why you're not experiencing the blessings of God, why you're not flourishing as a human created by God. Man, you're not showing up. When I went on my first mission trip, I needed money to go on my mission trip. And I was scared. I'd never ask anybody for money. And my pastor, Billy Garrett in Starkville, Mississippi, said, hey, man, let's go get, a, let's go get an apple pie and a Coke at McDonald's. And um, he said, I'll support you financially. I'm like, you're a preacher? You don't, that can't be much. How much you going to give me? He said, I'll get the church, church to support you. That added up to a nice total, but I still $1,000, $1,500 short. So he had a little dessert party, a little dinner party at his house. And he pretty much told everybody there in, that, in our local church, he goes, hey, we're going to get Robert the money he needs before we walk out of here. And uh, I think he knew that I was going to be a pastor one day. And I was going to need to shake money out of people like you. <laughs> I was going to need to talk about it. Because where God guides, he provides. But man, let me tell you, he built my faith. Why, why did he take a punk kid and treat him to an apple pie and a Coke and have a dinner party and make sure that I had every dollar I needed to go on that mission trip? Man, he built my faith. When I lived in South Florida, I walked into a new church and a man, a man named Charlie Morgan was a pretty popular trial lawyer. In fact, one night, a couple times I saw him on TV. One night he was on Larry King Live. I'm like, I know him. I go to his Sunday school class. And Charlie was the first person who took me under his wings and consistently through a local church, I got to see a brilliant man. And he nourished my faith because I'd never lived in a place. I grew up in the South and I grew up in a place where, you know, we didn't cultivate the life of the mind uh, in the church. And uh, Charlie Morgan helped me do that. Uh, to examine carefully and to, uh, to think critically about the evidence in the New Testament, about the scripture, about life itself, about the power that Jesus has. Uh, it was powerful for me to see that. A man named Carlos Salaberia took me under his wing through a local church when I was struggling. He saw me in the back of the church. I didn't even want to come to church that day. And he saw me and I was hurting and he took me under his wing and he spent time with me. And I just want to say, I hope this sounds right, but if I've enriched your life, any of your lives in a very small way, these are some of the people that have enriched my life. And when someone says to me, man, I don't need the local church, I say back to them, to the Christian, I think you're cutting yourself off for the riches that God has in your life. And so why the local church? A, it's God's plan A. There's no plan B. We is greater than me. Secondly, it enriches your life because God has people around you who are gifted and he's given you a gift. And if you don't discover that gift, man, this is bland and boring. You're just sitting in a row listening to a bald talking head. But the church is so much more. Let's re-up. So how do we re-up? That's the second question with two more points. How do we re-up? The first, uh, first answer I want to give you is this. Progressively practicing patience. Verse 2, we're just getting our feet wet. He says, to those what sanctified in Christ, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. If we had a table that said, be sanctified, would you go sign up? Hey, y'all, meet us right here in the commons, right at church, the be sanctified table. Would you sign up to be sanctified? Probably not. Because it's a religious holy word that sounds pretty stiff and uninspiring. But to be sanctified simply means to be set apart. It means that... God is special. So here's, the, here's these people, man. They are steeped in disunity. They are at each other's throat. They are engrossed in immorality. And Paul is saying, I thank my God for you. And he says, you're called and you're sanctified. I hope you and I have room for that in our theology and our practice. 
because messed up people are all around us. Messed up guys preaching. Microphone's messing up a little bit, but stay with me. But we have all kinds of things that are messed up around us. We are messed up. But sanctification is you're not perfect, but you're on the way there. And patience, knowing that this is a process of sanctification, it helps us in our patience. I, I talk sometimes about Ruth and Mavis. They're my two grandmothers. They're, they both died. They're both home now. And they impacted me in different ways. But Mavis was the oldest of 10 children. We don't do that much anymore. Anybody got 10 kids in the house? Now, Fondren is making some babies around here. Let me just say, Fondren Church is making some babies. There is someone with 10. Yeah, our neighbor. She lives next door. She's one of 10 from Texas, uh, coach at, one of the coaches at Millsaps. But yeah, they're, they're, you're rare, Natalie, very, very rare. But uh, my grandmother Mavis was one of you, and she, she lived to be 101 years old. Some of you may remember I did her funeral in 2018. And she outlived all of her siblings, all of them. But there was a favorite aunt of mine, not supposed to play favorite, but Aunt Jewel was my favorite, Uncle Billy and Aunt Jewel in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And I remember going to Aunt Jewel's house, and did anybody do this anymore? She had this china cabinet, and I remember this because my mama didn't have one. She's a good cook, if you're watching today, Mom, love your cooking. But my mom didn't have a china cabinet, but Aunt Jewel did. And I remember that, it just stood in my mind as a kid when I would go there, loved her cooking. She could cook, show enough cook. But I remember her on Sunday, she would go to that china cabinet. It was, the, it was the place for not, you know, not for the common plates and cups. It was the special. And that's a picture, if you will, of sanctification where God, God the, the biblical New Testament picture is there's, there's like, a, you know, a stack of something. There's a, a clump, a cloister of something in a bag or a barrel or a sack. And God picks out and sets it apart. You're called. I want you to find your calling. You're sanctified. It means you're special. No, 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 no. Not special like you're superior to people because the church is being plagued by leaders who are abusing their power and control. The church is plagued by an ineffective witness because we think we can judge the world. And Corinthians is going to show us we can graciously discern and confront each other in the house of God as a church family, but we don't judge the world. And we sure don't mock the world. So some of you need to change your Twitter game maybe. But in this, we're not superior, but we're special. We're called out. We're called out. God is saying, and Paul, and Paul is saying, you're too common. You're, you're like the ordinary stuff. You're not living a special life. A friend of mine is dating online. I'm not judging. I'm just preaching. He's dating online, and he, uh, he's, wanting, I mean, he's really, really wanting to get married. And I don't know when it's going to happen for him. I'm kind of cheering for him. I like him as a single guy. But anyway, he's dating online. And I said, man, how's it going for you? And he said, well, Robert. He hemmed and hawed a little bit, and he said, you know, I, when I show up, they, they don't really look like their picture. And I'm not ragging on ladies, because men, we're probably worse. But Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's saying, hey, church, you don't really look like your picture. So when you're preaching, and when you're talking about Jesus, ain't nobody got to be perfect, but you need to be growing. And here's what should help some of us who've lost patience with people and the church in particular. is the Bible talks, this is seminary 101 or maybe 201, but the Bible talks about salvation in three realms. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Glorification is that future day that we all long for. One day, I think I'm going to have, in heaven, I'm going to have a body like Brad Pitt. I mean, it's going to be good for eternity. I'm going to be looking like somebody like Brad Pitt. I'm gonna be, we're going to be glorified one day and if you're at that age like some of us are and things are starting to wear out you're looking forward to the glorification and one day it's going to happen 
But justification is that past tense, and that's, you know, you have been saved on no merit of your own. He saved you. Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Who wants some peace today? Hey, your sins are forgiven. He's got you. But sanctification is where we are if you're in Christ, but it's the messy middle. You ain't glorified. You have been justified, but you can't rest on that. You can appreciate it. You can know it and think about it and rest in it and, and walk, you know, walk in that and practice it. But we're being sanctified, and this is process. If we don't look like our picture, we're not li- we're living, we're, we look like the paper plates and the cups, not the china. But what God says about us is this, it's, and it's, he's pulling us to the future. You are supposed to live like it. Hey, church, live differently than the world that's around you. Man, there's some powerhouse preachers that are acquiescing to the world because they want to be liked. They want to be popular. Can I just say this? I'm just inserting this. I didn't tell 930. Y'all tell them if you see them at work tomorrow. But, uh, man, my job is not to be popular. And my job is for you not to enjoy everything you hear here. Because these are hard truths sometimes. So, how, how do we re-up with the local church? We progressively practice patience. There's an old song I learned as a kid. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, sun and earth, Jupiter and Mars, how loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Sanctification means we're in process. Isn't it funny how we get that with buildings? If I go to your job site and y'all are like adding on a section or remodeling and there's dust and dumpsters and a work crew with hard hats, like, I mean, you know, I just realize it ain't always going to be like that. And you're making it better. But when we get dusty and messy, we forget that God's working on us. Everybody's a work in progress. And so we can be patient, more patient with each other. Second thing that Paul gives us in this opening volley of this letter is to extend grace. Because of the grace of God, verse 4, because of the grace of God given to you in Christ. Now, that's important to put those two together. I did the dot, dot, dot thing. I did the cliffhanger thing. But he's thankful. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, not because you're divided and you're seething in anger and engrossed in sexual immorality and at each other. So I'm not thanking God for that, but I'm thanking God because of the grace of God given to you in Christ. I, it's messed up and you're messed up, but I'm not giving up. I'm going to re-up is what Paul is saying. And so this is the second way that we can do that. We can extend grace to each other. Um, older men have the same jokes. Have you noticed that? If you're an old man, you, you be careful because, you know, your family's talking about you. You walk around, you got like, you got a bag of three to five jokes and you say them all the time. And so I'm praying, I'm asking Susan to keep me accountable as I get older to have more than five jokes. But uh, there's a guy in my life, he's passed on, but he used to say uh, one of his three, or five, three to four jokes were, um, hey, Robert, you know, cannibalism's in the Bible. And I'm like, what, cannibalism? And I was thinking like Leviticus or something. He's like, no, 2 Corinthians 8.1. So this morning, yeah, I mean, I didn't expect you to laugh. I expected you to groan, and that's fine. It's not my, it's not my joke. I'm just passing along. Hey, here's uh, this morning, Gina Katad just sent it to her last minute before the first service. I, I looked up 2 Corinthians 8.1. Remember, we're in 1 Corinthians. But here's what it said. I wanted to know what it said. We want you to know, brothers, about what? The grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Here's why I smiled at that this morning. Not that bad joke. I smiled at this reality. I wondered what the verse said. I had no idea I'd show it in church. But I'm like, what, what, did, what did it talk about? Grace. Not cannibalism. But grace. And here's the thing. This is hard for us. It's, grace is all up in here. 
Some people say grace is not in the New Testament. Uh, read again. <laughs> read again. Grace is all up in here, but it, it's not much up in here sometimes. And if you notice this, let me drop a, let me drop a hard reality on us. Uh, there's something in us, and I'm included, where it's just easier for us to be gracious to ourselves than it is to be gracious to other people. Uh, psychologists have a term for it, for it. It's called fundamental attribution error. Example, I'm late. Well, I got a reason to be late. Traffic, the kids, somebody held me at gunpoint. But you're late? Lazy. Character flaw. Personal defect. You're hurting the team. Fundamental attribution, error. So we need grace. If we're going to walk this walk, if we're going to re-up with the local church, we need to learn to extend grace to each other. Ever, ever seen Ephesians 3, verses 11 and 12? says this, love it. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. Come on. To all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ, his Lord. Oh, we see his grace and oh, we see his word. Could it be? Let me flip it all on us. Flip it all on us. Could it be the fact that what makes us despair over the hot mess in the church is actually the thing that could evoke beauty and wonder and amazement at the goodness of God. Because you see, the fact that God uses people like me and you could actually be a mark of his grace, not a mark of his absence. And so let's extend that to each other. How do we re-up? We re-up by progressively practicing patience with each other. And by extending grace, the grace that's been given to us, we begin to look for ways to do that to each other. I've got a friend down the street, different church, but we're all a part of the Big C Church. He's a, a black brother, friend. And uh, he was telling me the other day that someone um, said something really offensive to him. And uh, I love him and I love uh, how God's using him. And, 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 he, and he said, you know, instead of going cancel culture on my brother in Christ, I said, hey, can we grab a cup of coffee? And can I just say, that's it. Right there. Philip Yancey wrote an amazing book called What's So Amazing About Grace. I've been recommending too many books, so I can't recommend another one now. But boy, it's a good one. He says the three most important sentences in the English language are, I love you, I forgive you, and what's for dinner? <laughs> you see, God has saved us from something. Sin, hell, but he saved us to something. He saved us to him and to each other and to be involved in something, to move away from the me's to the we's and learn to not cancel culture each other, but to have coffee and to be with each other. So as Lauren and the team begin to make their way up, in a moment I'm going to have you stand and we're going to end the service coming to the table. 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to get there, but it says come to the table it quotes Jesus, this do in remembrance of me. It gives a whole bunch of warnings. And then we'll talk about why we don't do some of that here later in this series. But we're going to come to the table. But before we do, I'm going to share with you two common objections to the local church that I hear a lot. And I heard one a couple of weeks ago to my face, and I appreciate the candor. Man, I, I don't want to connect to a local church because uh, it's an institution and it's organized.
take the church out of it for a second. It could be quite possibly the apex of human invention and creation is organization. Is when people get together and organize over something. Movements start and companies and businesses and good causes and fight disease and injustice and, and, and we, we tackle things. Why? Because we know we got to get together. We got to organize to get together. So anywhere we go that's organized, I mean anywhere, you're going to have problems. But there's a gift in organization. And it can be a really, really good, good thing to be organized. In fact, we're going to talk about order in worship and how the enemy works in confusion, but God works in peace. And that's why we have leaders. That's why we should pray for our leaders. Hebrews 13, and make their job a joy. That's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Second objection I you know, hear a lot is, uh, I, can, I can just, I can do this on my own. In fact, uh, I was talking to a guy, and he goes, well, let me tell you, that's what he said, but then he said, you know, I, I don't want to join a church, your church or any church right now, because I'm looking for a biblical church, and I can't find a biblical church. And I'm like, what, what are we talking about here? He goes, yeah, New Testament church. I said, all right, so you want to join a New Testament church. Well, here's what you're going to need to do. You're going to need to, you're going to, need to gather with the church, but you're going to need to gather, not weekly, you ready for this, but daily. When? Before dawn. And none of your possessions are your own. And you gather daily before dawn and you look around the room and you make sure if there's a poor person, they have everything that they need. That's a, that, you know, is that what you want? <laughs> you gonna do that? Oh, oh, I see. You're just, you're just not doing nothing. My English has not been good today. I'm sorry. Stand with me. I want to close with this uh, a question and a quote. Here's the question. Which is better? Because everybody, I want everybody to ask this question. If you're on the fence, if you've tapped out or thinking about tapping out, the preacher's asking you to re-up. Which is better? Disconnecting yourself from community, because it can be easy. Or connecting yourself to a flawed community. We all got to answer that. Charles Holmes Jr. said this, the best of Christianity is found under the surface. It's not on social media and it's not in the Christian news cycle. It's unseen, unpopular, and quiet. Want to find true Christianity? Look there. Embodied local community with humble, sacrificial people learning to love and forgive, practice patience, and extend grace. Anybody uh, want some of that? Anybody want to re-up today? Anybody want to have a conversation with one of us about re-upping? It's why we're here. This thing called the local church, I'm just telling you, it is not a made-up, man-oriented venture. It's God's idea. Don't you want to be on the right side of history? Let's pray. Father, thanks for today and for your word. And I pray that um, it would have its effect in us. So, Lord, refine us. This word sanctification means that we as people and we the church need continual reformation and transformation. And so do that in us. Thank you that we can come to the table. And as we do, we're brothers and sisters. Nobody's one up on anybody. We're all common sinners who, uh, lo and behold, in 1 Corinthians, we get called saints called us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and we do so in your merit we take the bread we take the cup we follow the person 
in front of us and go back to our seed and we partake of the cup and the bread as a symbol of your body broken and your blood shed for us. And that God, I, I, I say thank you. I do stop now and pray for the one who's giving up or the one at home that's kind of given up. Lord, call us to be the church. In Jesus' name.